0: Hi, and welcome to a Random History Podcast. I'll re-record. So, if you're going back to listen to this episode, you may notice that uh, you didn't hear this before. And the reason for that is simply the fact that uh, after posting a few episodes, I've learned a few things, and really just the, the audio quality seemed horrible. So, I decided to re-record the episode and try to make it a little bit more enjoyable. So, hopefully uh, that's true, and uh, you enjoy. Thank you. To know war is to know that there is still madness in this world. There are poor to be lifted up, and there are cities to be built, and there's a world to be helped. Yet we do what we must. I am hopeful, and I will try with best I can with everything I've got to end this battle and to return our sons to their desires. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we proved once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. This is the Random History Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Van Dyke, and you can reach us on Twitter or at our website, randomhistorypodcast.com. Hi, and welcome to a random history podcast, my first episode. So the inspiration for starting this whole idea of podcasting actually came from Quora. Uh, Somebody asked a question on Quora wanting to know if um, Napoleon ever specified uh, the general he least liked to face or one that he feared. And uh, I made a post uh, to a reply and it went pretty well. And that made me think, well, heck, people are interested reading it. Uh, Perhaps there's some other things that people might be interested to hear in return. And of course, podcasting is a bit more popular than Quora. So I thought, hey, why not? Let's give it a go. So again, this is the answer to that question. I'm going to read my reply uh, as, as it was written. So I'm not really sure if Napoleon ever said so, but it seems Archduke Charles would be the clear winner. Let's get this out of the way first. Did Napoleon defeat the Archduke? Yes. So what made the Archduke the foe worthy for this list? For starters, he did run, by all accounts, a brilliant campaign in 1796, defeating Jourdan and Moreau and sending them back over the River Rhine, suffering he- heavy casualties for the French. The next year, he faced down Napoleon in Italy. Recognizing his inferior position, he retreated masterfully, keeping Napoleon reacting to his movement and successfully pulled back his forces and was able to concentrate his forces. By 1799, he again defeated Jourdan at Austrich and Stockach then the Archduke moved on. Um, Switzerland is at that point, of course, French controlled. He defeated Messina. The Archduke then pushed north and again pushed the French over the Rhine. So for some perspective at this time in history, the French have been in uh, a revolutionary state now for a while. And uh, they had a revolutionary government. And this was very offensive to many many, uh, countries in Europe. Remember, at this time, monarchies ruled the day. So the idea that there were Individual citizens running the government of France uh, was scary to the monarchs. And this is in addition to the fact that it upset the delicate balance of power between the world powers at the time in Europe. So this could really mess all that up. So the reason I'm bringing up some of these victories now um, that the Archduke committed to was because... The Archduke proved he was the best general in Europe. He defeated all comers except Napoleon, whom he could be well-argued he outgeneraled. The Archduke then retired to Bohemia. However, Napoleon did not retire, and he continued to fight this anti-French coalition. Fortunately to history obsessionists, the big showdown between the two heavyweights would in fact come. The Archduke first, though, was recalled to battle Moreau. The defeat of the coalition at Holinden, where Archduke John was outgeneraled. Believing the French lines were broken, the second coalition forces marched in four separate columns to pressure the retreating army, only to find Moreau laying in wait for an ambush that drove the coalition forces into a broken retreat, suffering heavy casualties to the tune of 13,000 of the original 60,000 men brought to field. Moreau lost two and a half thousand of the 52,000 he brought to field. Now, again, you might be asking why I mention a battle, though a large one, outside of the direct question. The answer is the French seemed near unbeatable by any general or field marshal not named Archduke Charles. So, to this point, I have not mentioned French victory. Archduke Charles made beating the French sound really easy. Truth is, this was actually far from the truth. The French had occupied Italy. Uh, the Rhine, the Austrian Netherlands, Switzerland, and were now driving straight for Vienna. The French organization of arms and tactics were modern and deadly. These tactics were used up until the First World War. Now, back to the point, the demoralized, defeated, and scattered forces of the HRE, the Holy Roman Empire, were now officially under the command of recently recalled Archduke Charles. He was to pick up the pieces and do something. However, it was not until 17 December of 1800 that Archduke John was relieved by his brother, Archduke Charles. By this point, the HRE had lost an additional 20,000 soldiers and the forces were, as I mentioned, entirely shattered. And it seems Archduke Charles did not see what was left of his uh, army as fit for the field. On the 25th of December, Moreau accepted the armistice of Steyr. This knocked Austria out of the Second Coalition and effectively killed it. While on paper, this may seem bad for Archduke Charles. He capitulated, and his nation was removed from the war. I will argue, though, as many others have, that a good general knows not just how to fight, but a great general knows when. So, this sets the stage for a rivalry between Moreau and Napoleon. Though, it did not last long. Moreau was politically outmaneuvered, Now, back to your question. In 1805, a third coalition was in full swing. Back to your question. In 1805, a third coalition was now in full swing with the Holy Roman Empire, a.k.a. Austria, the Russian Empire, the Kingdom of Sicily, not to be confused with the Kingdom of Two Sicilies and the Kingdom of Naples joining the still in it from the first coalition and really hadn't stopped the United Kingdom. With the U.K. owning the sea after the Battle of Trafalgar, the war would be decided on the continent. In true Napoleonic fashion, he moved in to attack the Holy Roman Empire before they could link up with the Russians. Place yourself between two forces, hold one while hammering the other. Napoleon 101 The French led 235,000 soldiers to field against 72,000. So what happens to the Holy Roman Empire when they field an army that is a third of the size of the great Napoleon and you leave everyone's favorite field marshal and archduke at home? Well, you wind up with 60,000 of your 72,000 soldiers killed, captured, or wounded in short order between the last half of October and the end of September 1805. Oh, and the Russians? Yeah, they pulled back to wait for the remnants of the Holy Roman Empire, um, for them to muster their forces. Now, Napoleon doesn't sit around and wait, though. He moves to take Vienna on 12 November. By 2nd December, the French find and defeat the Austrian army at Austerlitz. This left a treaty to be signed. That was really all that was left. It again knocked the Holy Roman Empire, not just from the war, but from the map with the forced abdication of Emperor Francis II. The great Holy Roman Empire was no more. So what the heck was our favorite Archduke doing? Well, he was ordered south in preparation for the war with 92,000 men to secure Milan, which he did. The Third Coalition was convinced the campaign would be fought in Italy. So 72,000 men to man the fortifications at critical points, making the HRE impregnable from the north... In the West seemed like the thing to do, right? Archduke was holding 27,000 men to hold the passes in the Alps. This meant that the large French force had to face Archduke Charles head-on in Italy. Napoleon did not like tangling with the field marshal, as he was the only man to outgeneral him, so he chose the other option. No, 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 not the headlong attack into impenetrable fortifications. If he did that, the French would have a lot more than 2,500 casualties. Yeah, that's right. They suffered 2,500 casualties in the entire campaign. That's not a typo. So if he didn't march into Italy and he didn't march into the heart of the HRE, what did he do? What's the third option? Oh yeah. So Prussia, they were neutral in this third coalition. So it was against the rules of war, assuming that's still a thing, so France couldn't just march to Prussia and bypass all the impenetrable HRE fortifications, right? Right? Well, it seems the signs at the Prussian border saying they were not able to enter, well, they weren't written in French. So yeah, the French army just marched right on through Prussia and defeated the HRE before the Russians or even the HRE could let Archduke Charles know the battle plans are a-changing and we need you to march north. So this, so this right here ended the third coalition. I mean, kind of, this is all at the end of 1805. In 1806, the Prussians were upset over the growing French influence and probably the inability to read border crossing signs. Uh, fun side note though, the Prussians seem to remember how effective a strategy ignoring the do not pass signs are on the borders of neutral countries as they did this in world war one. And funny thing, The French built a great system of fortifications after World War I on the border with Prussia. And the Prussians were like, yeah, no, we're going to do the French thing a second time and not run headlong into massive fortifications. And we're just going to go through the neutral countries to kick off a successful invasion of France in the Second World War. So now it seems like an endless string of numbered coalitions. We have a nice number this time. We have the fourth and final coalition. So, now this is the fourth coalition. We still have the surely rather tired and annoyed United Kingdom, and the still-in-it-to-win-it third coalition holdout of Russia and Sicily. New friends have joined, hence the new number. Prussia, Sweden, Saxony, though Saxony gets to be on the French ally list by 6th December 1806. So now the combined coalition forces numbered some 390,000 versus the French and allied 310,000. Not that those numbers matter. Prussia was knocked out of the war before the end of the year, and Russia was out by June of 1807, and the fourth coalition was done. So where the heck is Archduke? And also, with no Holy Roman Empire, is he still an Archduke, Charles? In 1806, the Austrian King Francis I the ruler formerly known as Emperor Francis II of the Holy Roman Empire, uh, made Archduke Charles the head of the Council of War and said, Commander-in-Chief, okay, maybe we should put the guy who beats the French generals and outwitted Napoleon in charge of the armed forces. Hmm, what an idea, right? At this point, the newly minted Commander-in-Chief had to have been like, really? Did you think of that all on your own, buddy? I mean... They did try at the last diet to get me to accept the title Savior of the Nation and build a statue of my honor, but I did turn it down so I wouldn't seem all power and glory hungry like that French guy, but yeah, okay, maybe better late than never. At this point, the Archduke—eh, we'll keep calling him that—began reorganizing unit structures, drilling new tactics— um, So this is important because the French had already done this. They'd already updated all this stuff. Meanwhile, the rest of Europe is still using the same, you know, the same tactics, mobility, officer strategies and things that they've been using forever. So the Archduke's like, yeah, we're going to change that. So while he's doing all this, the French were kicking the snot out of everyone still. But in 1809, a fifth coalition formed. Yeah, I was totally kidding about the fourth coalition being the last one. Um, And sadly, there's more. I mean, it's especially sad if you're a commoner of Europe, right? This coalition, like the rest, was short-lived. But this is where I finally try to answer your question, I promise. So, in 1809, Charles was forced to put his new army to field, even though the reforms were not yet complete. With this said, Charles had great success. It was a bit short-lived. Though outnumbered, the old archduke inflicted heavy casualties on Napoleon. Prior to this, Napoleon had seemed invincible, but even in victory, the French were bleeding men. The battles of Absberg and Egmont were defeats for Charles and victories for Napoleon, but the Battle of Landshut, well... That saw Napoleon soundly defeat a smaller force of Austrians, showing the effectiveness of great generalship over new tactics. Now, Napoleon now pushed for the bridges to secure his hold on Vienna and met Charles. Soon now we have this battle of Aspern-Essling. Now, um, Napoleon was fielding 27,000 men and Charles found him with 95,000 men. Charles took the initiative, while Napoleon was forced to a defensive posture. Both sides fought a brutal back and forth, with Aspern falling before the French retaking half the town. Essling was just as bitter, with back and forth battling, and both sides taking heavy casualties. With the need of Charles's forces to push and Napoleon's forces on the need to defend and react, the day ended with a bloodbath, I mean, just watering the trees and vegetable gardens of the two towns. On the second day, though, Napoleon was reinforced. And now the great general had 66,000 to Charles's 91,000. The second day commenced the moment dawn broke with Napoleon's forces led by Messina taking Aspern in short order. Essling then fell to the French after a desperate and brutal fight. Charles then counters it with his counterattack. He drives Messina from Aspern. Napoleon then ordered a massive attack on the Austrian center. This massive attack was led by lanes. It broke the Austrian lines and soon the French were pouring through the gap and Austrian defeat was now without question. When Charles sent in his final reserves to head the French, Charles himself carried the colors personally and led the reserves and brought the French breakthrough to a resounding halt. Napoleon, now having lost the initiative, his forces being pushed back and the strategic cities lost, now heard one more bit of bad news. The Austrians had sent barges down the river, and they had begun smashing the bridges in the path of Napoleon's retreat. Soon, Napoleon would not only be outnumbered, but in danger of his lines not being able to reform before the Austrians finish their counter and his backs to the water. He did what he had to do. He was outdone. Napoleon began to retire his forces, fighting the whole way as they backed over the bridges before they could be cut. Napoleon, for the first time in over a decade, was defeated. In the end, both sides lost 23,000 men, each being killed, captured, or wounded. That is half of what Napoleon brought to field. Don't feel too bad for Napoleon. He retired in an orderly fashion, and of course, you know, we all know who Napoleon is, and perhaps not Charles for a reason. Napoleon took six weeks to regroup and set out again, this time when both men met, it would be with even numbers, around 150,000 each. Napoleon would win the Battle of Wagram and defeat Charles. However, it would not be an uncontested victory, and again at great cost. The French would suffer upwards of 40,000 casualties, and Charles would suffer about the same. What this battle did, however, was begin the decline of Napoleon's fortunes. You see, Napoleon had lost so many veteran soldiers and officers and generals, and they couldn't be replaced. Charles gave a blueprint for how to fight Napoleon. Napoleon would beat the Fifth Coalition. He would not the sixth. And the seventh and final see more of Napoleon going out with a whimper instead of a bang.